And let's open up the word and let the Lord bear his heart to us. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We are so honored to have you with us. I pray you'll be blessed in a time of worship with us. Uh, worship is, it's an experience, but uh, it's not so much experiencing me or our church or our building. It's experiencing the one true living God and having a genuine relationship with him. That's where the hope comes from, Living Hope Church, because we believe as we fully devote ourselves to Jesus and we get to know him and he gets all of us, then that's where genuine love happens because he first loved us. We love him. We love one another. And that compels us to go out and live on mission because of what he's done for us. And so it's very important that when we say we love Jesus or we know Jesus or we're all about Jesus or we're Christians, do we actually know Jesus? <laughs> because in our society, when you, when you ask someone, do you believe in Jesus? You're going to get a whole lot of different answers, aren't you? Oh, yes. Yes, I'm a fan of Jesus. Or I like Jesus. Or Jesus is a part of my faith system, absolutely. And, but we live in a pluralistic society where we kind of just stir a bunch of things in a pot together and hope that what comes out at the end tastes good and, and works. But those of you that actually cook in a kitchen, more doesn't always equal better, does it? It's got to have the right ingredient in it. And unfortunately today, because of how we pluralize things and we syncretize things, uh, people talk about Jesus, but they're taking Jesus and they're making him out to be whatever they want him to be. We're remaking Jesus, or rebranding Jesus with what jives with me. So that's where you get politically correct Jesus or environmentally friendly Jesus. Don't forget about gun-toting Jesus, vegan Jesus, woke Jesus, female empowerment Jesus, gay Jesus. Yes, people have said Jesus was gay, and his best friend was John, and, and you can run with that from there. What about wealth distribution, Jesus? Or this one's my favorite. It kind of just runs together. Jesus didn't judge anyone, so don't judge me, Jesus. Right? That's, you know, I don't know much about Jesus, but I know he didn't judge. I'm going to throw that one verse at you. Isn't it interesting how, I think really what's going on there is we are fronting what's important to us. That adjective is really what we're worshiping. But Jesus becomes our kind of teddy bear hug that, that helps empower us to do whatever it is that we've already set out our mind to do. The name Jesus stands alone. Amen. Jesus can stand on his own two feet. He doesn't need your agenda to add value to him and what he came to do. But what's really important is that we let the word of God, we let the testimony of God's word define for us who Jesus is what he came to do because that's where our real hope comes from and all of those issues can fall into place when we properly understand jesus and what he's come to do so as we go through our series on the names of god today it's jesus the name we use about every single day i hope or pray to every single day jesus means god is savior I think that might already be on the top of your, your paper, but if you're taking notes, it's worth writing down again. Jesus means God is Savior. Now, I'm going to open to an account we typically open to at Christmas time. 
But this is the story of Jesus' birth from the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Because this is where we're told the significance of Jesus' name. And I'm going to read it for us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so legally pledged to be married, just he hadn't come and got her yet, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. Get this. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken by the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So it's interesting, as you read through uh, Matthew, Luke tells us a little bit more about the setting of Jesus' birth and his delivery room. And in the manger, but but in Matthew, we're not told Jesus' birth story. But we are told the significance of his name. That sets up the entire gospel account. This is who he is, this is what he came to do. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So let's first look at, if you're taking notes, point number one, this is the origin of this name. The origin of his name. Where'd it come from? Mary and Joseph weren't, uh, you know, checking out books from the library looking for, hey, what are some popular names of babies right now? And, and, and what, what's, the, oh, what's the meaning behind them? No, they were, they were, at least Joseph was panicking a little bit because the lady he's going to take to be his wife, I mean, they're already legally pledged to be married, but they haven't come together yet and haven't had the ceremony. She's pregnant. That's why it takes a, a, a miraculous appearance of an angel to say, do not panic. This is from the Lord. Yes, this never happens in, in you know, your day-to-day -day human life. No other woman can claim this. This is a miracle from God, from the Holy Spirit. It's a virgin birth to show that God is Father, and this baby is not just any ordinary man. He's fully God and fully man. So what do you name such a baby? You could name him Antonio. Could name him Ebenezer or Fred. Mary and Joseph didn't have to pull a name out of a hat because God told them, this is what you're going to call him. I will tell you, his name is Jesus. It actually was a fairly common name in Jewish culture. You know why? Because it goes all the way back to Exodus. This is a name associated with God. What he alone can do. And, and that, that title, he will save his people from their sins, originally goes back to Exodus 3, or no, I'm sorry, Exodus 15, verse 2, 
where the Israelites are singing a song after God has delivered them from the Egyptians, led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, miraculously, then leads them across the Red Sea, which he parted the waters and turned dry because he's God. He can do that. And then when they're on the other side and all of their drowned enemies are laying at their feet, they sing a song and it goes like this. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. So that word, Yeshua, it comes from a combo of two words in the Hebrew. Yeho, which, what, is that, what does that remind you of? Yahweh. Yahweh. Okay, so Yah, short for Yahweh, Shua means a cry for help. Cry for help, who comes rescuing? It's God. So 150, time, 150 times in the Hebrew Old Testament, because I know a lot of you are reading in Hebrew, you're Hebrew scholars. <laughs> I, I just about failed Hebrew in seminary. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a difficult language. Reading from right to left, you've already lost me. Uh, but Yeshua is the, uh, is the combination of that. When you get to the Greek, it's Yesus, or we say in English, Jesus. But it's the same root meaning. My God is salvation he saves me he hears my cry for help so think with me if you are a jew in this context you and i we have the privilege of growing up with the bible around if not in our home easily accessible or you go to a place where the bible is read but if you're a jew just for thousands of years, you're getting these occasional prophecies from the Lord that a Messiah is coming, a Messiah is coming, a Deliverer is coming, and now he's here. This is the coming of the Deliverer, and it's God himself. The Lord is my Savior. So the fact that Jesus is physically here in this room is an answer to all of God's promises to his people. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us. All the promises of God find their yes in who? Jesus. It's in Jesus. It's not just a title. Everything is wrapped up in him. That is why Jesus is the sweetest name that I know. Going back to the beginning, Israel failed, but God was faithful. And, and if you read your Old Testament, a lot of us don't enjoy that, right? Because there's just so much violence. There's so much um, crazy things going on with, you know, marrying multiple wives. And you got multiple families and there's family drama. And then there's siblings killing each other and enslaving each other. It's like, what is going on? Well, we're pretty wicked people. We've got a sin issue. Read the Old Testament and just look at how bad things got, even with people who had the law. And they had a nation miraculously given to them by the Lord. And he led them out of slavery. But how quickly we go back on our promises. And we break our covenant with God. But he remains faithful. You can't disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament. There's a reason Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Because what happens next? Everything. It's the culmination. This is the pinnacle. So we are in the church age and we love planting churches and growing churches and multiplying churches and sending missionaries around the world, but what are we doing? We're looking back at the coming of our Savior and what he accomplished for us on the cross 
because that will stand the test of time for history. It's the greatest news you've ever heard in your life. Let me tell you about my Jesus. What God says he will do, he did. And that's what the angel says. He will save his people from their sins. Not, well, hopefully he will, or hopefully some of them will turn and, and they said, I don't know, it's kind of a gamble. God already knows. And if you want to know how he knows, look at the book of Romans and Ephesians. Our loving father from eternity past pre-adopted us. And when Jesus died on the cross, he prayed for those who would be his. Yes, I put my faith in Jesus and I repented of my sins. But at the same time, Jesus knew those who belonged to him, just like a good shepherd does. The offer of salvation is good to all, but he is going to save. Take that to the bank. And when Jesus died on the cross and he gave out his final breath, what did he cry? I guess his final cry was, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But before that, it is finished. I did the work that I came to do. Fulfilled it. Promise kept. My God is my Savior. And so as we reflect on the name of Jesus, I want us to, to keep that in mind. Every time that you read the Bible and you see the name Jesus, every time you tell someone, I follow Jesus, Every time you ask someone, what do you know about Jesus? We should already have preloaded in our mind, Jesus, God who keeps his promises, God who is faithful and just, the God who will deal with the worst of the worst problem in the human heart, all sin, not just the easy stuff. He came to take care of some of the, some of the gossip or or maybe the you know this uh, you know issue I got going on in my family, but God can't really save save us from the sins of you know the big stuff. Came to save us from all sin, purify us from all of it. He has the power to do it, and He did, and He rose from the dead, and that is a historical fact that we carry with us as followers of Christ. He is our risen Savior. So are you here today and you're unaware of the connection between what God has been doing for thousands of years and your brief life? I'm not saying you don't have an important life, but look at your life or even the struggle that you're going through right now in light of eternity and what God has done. Let God's promises, let his faithfulness be your banner. Pastor Dennis taught us about that, right? Yahweh is my banner. His banner over me is, is love. Let that be your resounding cry. Don't, be, don't let your resounding cry be, I failed this week. I didn't read my Bible enough this week. I got caught in that sin again this week. That is not the definition of a child of God. The definition of a child of God is one who's been set free and will be free forever, even if you don't feel it or see it or fully realize it today. Hope is here, and his name is Jesus, and he will be with us forever. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're unaware of who exactly Jesus is, Son of God in human flesh, if you're unaware of what exactly did his death on the cross accomplish. It was a complete payment for all sin. God's substitute for us on the cross. You can repent of your sins today 
and put your faith in Jesus and what he has done, and God settles your account. It's already paid in full. It was accomplished 2,000 years ago. Think of it. You don't atone for yourself today, and you don't atone for anything tomorrow or the day after. It's already been atoned. Will you just merely put your faith in Jesus and come under that covering? That umbrella of his grace will cover you. Because for followers of Jesus, I don't need just reminding that at one point in history I was saved. I need to remember that God keeps his hand on me and I am still saved today. I've had people ask or think or, or, or postulate, you know, I'm, Christians can lose their salvation. Oh boy. If I could lose my salvation, I would have never been saved to begin with. Because it's not how hard I believe after Jesus that saves me. It's his foundation. It's his promises. That's why Jesus says you can have faith the size of a mustard seed. If I put a mustard seed on this chair right now and the AC kicks on, that seed's gone. <laughs> That's tiny, tiny seed. But if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, but it's resting on Jesus, it's not going anywhere. We might wonder, we might have our doubts, but if you're genuinely saved in Jesus, you are secure. So whatever you bring in this morning, whether it's some shame, whether it's some guilt, whether it's the weight of a conversation that went poorly this past week or unmet expectations, still waiting on a call back about that job, guess what? Jesus still has his hands on you today. He's saving you, and one day he will save you and deliver you from this body, from this fallen world, because God's promises stand true. So let's live in that this week. Let's rejoice in that this week. Let's confess our sins, bring it to him, and remember what he's accomplished for us, because God is powerful. And if he's powerful, then his salvation goes way beyond just one person or one people group. So point number two, let's look at the extent of his salvation. We saw the origin of his name. Wow, that goes back a long time, and God's been keeping his promises all the way. So how far does that go? How, how good is this good news? Well, he tells us this good news is for all nations. Going back to Matthew 1, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But what happens in Matthew chapter 2? Some outsiders come riding into town. This is after Jesus is born. The wise men. The wise men were not Jewish. But they showed up because they had access to some of the same Old Testament scriptures. Now, now commentators speculate, how, how was this? Was it, uh, you know, Daniel, he had a significant influence in the, in the foreign government. And, and was it some of his wise men descendants that had those passages? Of, you know, we're not entirely sure, but one thing is clear. They came from the Far East, and they knew to look for a sign. And they took God at his word, that he would keep his word. So where the Jews weren't even looking, these wise men show up. And they worship at the feet of this child. He's about one to two years old at this point. Because it's, it's not the word used for baby in chapter two. It's, it's a young child and they're in a house. Not in a stable anymore. And yet they know God keeps his promises. So the gospel is also good news for people far off. In Genesis 22, God promised Abraham, Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
Not just those that are raised in a pastor's home. Some of them might not even consider that a blessing. You can ask my kids. They'll tell you. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, depending on the day. But through you, Abraham, your offspring, namely Jesus, the seed, all the families will be blessed. That's the gospel. That's the hope of salvation. Not just for the Jews, but you'll notice in Jesus' ministry, he starts at Jerusalem. He starts among the people of Israel. The gospel first goes to the Jews. Why? Because God keeps his promises. He told the Jews, I'm going to send you a Messiah. So he makes sure that there's no way they can miss it. He doesn't just skip out of Israel and go to all the other nations. He stays there because God wants to work a revival through Israel that will spread to the nations. That's what he's always doing. He works through faith community to spread his mission of the gospel. Today, we have the beauty of the local church. We see God's promises fulfilled in our lives, and we come together, and we love him together, we serve him together, and we share him together to all peoples. Isaiah foretold this again. We saw Isaiah 7:14. there will be a son. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says, I will give you a light for the nations. And here's why. That you should be my salvation to the end of the earth. I want those people living in huts in Africa to know that I'm a good and faithful God too. And the people of Myanmar, Australia, China, Greenland, even Russia. Even Russia. I want these people to know that I'm a good and faithful God. He is, isn't he? And we want all people to know. Missions exists because Jesus saves. He's worth it. He's worth worshiping. He's worth sacrificing for. He's worth giving to. Um, but do you know that most churches, their giving accounts for very little of the gospel going to unreached people groups around the world. It's easy to get focused in on what we do here and we forget about the people out there who don't have an access to a Bible in their language, who don't have multiple churches in their community that they can choose from. and We are blessed. So what will it take to mobilize or to pray or to raise up mission workers to go to the nations? That's why Jesus came and he will not come again until the gospel has gone around the globe. So you're basically in a similar position to Gabriel the angel who announced Jesus' arrival to Mary and Joseph. You and I are just messengers. That's what angel means, a messenger. And if Jesus has been faithful to save you, hey, you, there's no telling what God can do through you in the power of his spirit to share that good news with others. It goes to all nations, and he works through all of his people to do that. But also, God is not, um, he's not confined by time or space. So the extent of Jesus' salvation is also for all time. He didn't just save us in the past. Jesus is going to save in the future. Christians have a full, complete, total salvation that encompasses all of time and space. Because God's riches really do go that far. His riches never run out. You can't send yourself outside the grace of God. And let's say, oh, you die, and you didn't plan to die at this, this certain day, or sadly, some people take their life. And, oh, man, if they took their life, could they even go to heaven? Yes. 
Yes. Where in the Bible is there any sin that's too great for God's grace to go? The only time you find anything about unforgivable sin are the Jews who see Jesus in the flesh, all of the promises of God fulfilled, and they say, no, you're from Satan. There's no coming back from that. You reject all of God's promises in the flesh and never repent, there's no coming back from that. But in the same way, anyone who never puts their faith in Jesus, because you were never placed yourself under the grace and mercy of God, of course there's no coming back from that. But here's the promise for Christians. 2 Corinthians 1.10 He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So 2 Corinthians talks a lot about Jesus' second coming. We know about his first coming, right? He came to save. He came to pay for our sins. He came to inaugurate his kingdom. And he's working through our lives right now. He's expanding his kingdom around the world through the hearts of his people. But he's not done yet. Which is why some of you are sitting here right now even saying, well, if God really is the deliverer, why hasn't he delivered me from X right now? You're thinking of something. Or at some point in the past, you've prayed for something and God has not answered that. Maybe right now, it's just no, no, or not yet, or no. God, do you even care? Are you even going to deliver? Are you even strong to save? And we feel that tension. Because we're looking forward to our future hope, that final deliverance. It's not here yet, so we feel the brokenness and the weight of this world. But Christians, that's why we have to remember his first coming. Was Jesus not faithful the first time? He had your best interests at heart before you and I even had a thought on our mind that there might be a God in heaven. We were broken, we were sinful, we were rebels. And he loved us, and he gave up his life for us. And if he was willing to do that, then okay, whatever burden you're struggling with right now, remember that. And look forward to the day when he comes back and sets everything right again. Now, when I was young, I think I told you this before, I was a really big Michael Jordan fan. I can still remember, in 1998, his final NBA Finals. And I'm watching on this, this little old TV set in my room. It was one of those old ones that actually had to warm up you know, before you could watch it. So if the game starts at 7, you got to turn it on at 6.30. That, that puppy's got to get warmed up, and you got to get the antenna set just right, and you got to be ready. And boy, did Michael Jordan put on a show, scored 45 points in that, in that game 6 against the Utah Jazz, and he hit the game-winning shot over Brian Russell. If you're a Bulls fan... It's the sweetest shot ever. If you're not a Bulls fan, he pushed off, and the ref should have called it. it there's really there, there's no there's no in between. It's one or the other. But it, it was one of the most defining shots of his career. It's how they won their sixth title, and he won his sixth MVP in the NBA Finals. But I did a little bit of research about my hero, and once you know it, Michael Jordan missed over 12,000 shots in his career. He actually had a shooting percentage of 49.7. So you tell me, did he make more or miss more shots in his career? He missed more, technically, by the numbers. And if you look at his game-winning shots, 
He shot about 700 or more potentially game-winning shots, and he hit 146 of them. But we don't remember that as much, do we? There were many times where Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, failed. He did not win it for his team. He did not win it for his city. All the hopes and prayers watching that ball did not go in the hoop. Disappointment. Can you name one time in your life where one of God's promises hit the rim and bounced off? I can think of countless times where my shots have hit the rim and bounced off. Anything I attempt, yeah, that's a, that's a roll of the dice right there. But God, who said he will love you to the end, who provides for our needs, who gives us love even when others turn their backs on us, has he not been faithful every step of the way? And if he's been faithful all the way till now, why wouldn't we believe he will be faithful in the future? People laugh at us, they mock us. Jesus isn't coming back. You can look at the heavens all you want. You know, if Jesus even existed to begin with. Act, act like we're crazy. Try to gaslight an entire 2,000 years of, of history and then predating that in the Old Testament. But laying that all aside, we know he is coming back. And we know he will deliver when the game is on the line. And as our world descends into more and more chaos, more and more evil, we remember things like John 14, 3, I am coming back for you. I'm preparing a place for you, but I'm coming back for you. And we remember 1 Thessalonians 4, which tells us the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Jesus isn't sending a chariot for his believers on earth in the last days. He's not sending a messenger. He's coming himself. God is my salvation. It's Jesus. I can't wait till he destroys all evil and he sets up his kingdom. I had a phone call with a pastor yesterday and we're sharing, you know, some of the, some of the needs and struggles that we're, we're facing. And he's talking about this counseling uh, situation that he's got another broken marriage, a long separation, um, kids, you know, six, six kids in the balance. And it's just a heartbreaking situation. And then I hear of another pastor whose 28 year old daughter takes her life unexpectedly and he's just devastated and we feel that pain and we say jesus will you come back not yet but he will and as we look at the name of jesus and we look at the brokenness of our world does your faith look more like i hope things will work out or is our faith I have hope because Jesus has already worked out the details on the cross and the empty grave. We're just waiting for everything to finish up the way that he has aligned it. There's a difference. Instead of looking with hope as I hope Jesus comes back or I hope he makes things right, he already has paid in full. But now we're just living out in truth what God has already declared to be. His word is that powerful. Here's the third thing I'm going to say, and then we'll be done. The name of Jesus requires a response. You cannot meet Jesus and ignore him. Because his name literally means God is salvation. So he either saves or he does not. You can't just mix him into whatever your preconceived notions about faith or spirituality are. 
Peter, his, one of his closest disciples, tells us in Acts 2.38, it's very clear what we need to do in response to the name of Jesus. Peter said to them, repent. Turn from your sins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And will you receive forgiveness for your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will literally take up residence in your heart. But who do you have to believe in? It's not the name of myself or any other good person. Trust me, we're all sinners. It's only the name of Jesus. And baptism in Jesus is a public demonstration to the world that God has saved me. You know, this is your Red Sea moment. Has God brought you through the Red Sea? And the Israelites, they could physically see it. But when God changes a heart, you don't always see it. I mean, sometimes people see you smiling or dancing or, you know, share, share about what God has done. He took away my, my, my anxiety or my depression or God gave me this. And they need to hear that testimony. But baptism shows people just like the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. He took me under, took my sin away, and he brought me out. That's my God. So repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's got to be the name. It's got to be the name of Jesus. And we want to be careful not to just use the name of Jesus in vain. There's a couple different ways that we do that. One is verbally, right? It just, it just comes out. <laughs> Jesus, you know, and, and, you know, frustration or exclamation. And that's something we all need to work on, isn't it? Even if you don't say it out loud. Oftentimes, we think it. Jesus says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's, that's from the law, but Jesus repeats that as well. So we know we need to be careful to do that. And ask forgiveness when we do that. You're not going to lose your salvation. But, <laughs> but we do want to grow in that area. But there's an interesting story in Acts 19, where some young men who are not believers, they're sons of the Jewish high priests, they go around and they're performing exorcisms. We're going to cast out demons. I don't know their motivation. Are they doing it for money? Are they doing it for popularity or whatever? But they know that there's power in the name of Jesus. They don't believe in him, but they know there's power in his name. So they tell these demons in Acts 19, I command you in the name of the Jesus that Paul worships or Paul serves to come out of him. And the demon says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And he beats the stuffing out of them. And he rips all their clothes off. And they go running through the village, completely naked, embarrassed, bloodied and beaten. Because they thought they could use Jesus' name like a magic potion. And then that would, that would make these things work out in their favor. You don't get to use Jesus however you want. He's not just some magic formula or name you can drop when things aren't going your way. If we are convinced, and, and Scripture makes it clear, that Jesus is God in the flesh, then we revere that name. We believe that name. Jesus, if you will, you can cast this demon out. But if you don't really believe in Jesus, please don't go around telling people that you're a Christian. Please don't go around telling people that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you. If you're just using Jesus, that's a dangerous place to be, folks. There's a warning in Scripture about that. 
Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, there'll be many people who stand before him at the judgment day and say, Lord, did we not do all these good things in your name? We cast out demons and we help people and we serve. Jesus will say, depart from me, you evildoer. Never knew you. Do you know Jesus like you've come to know some of the people in this room? You know not just a name, but you know the person. You're building a relationship with them. That's the relationship God wants with us through Jesus. So to apply it, as we live out a life of faith this week, I know we all have uncertainties we're facing. Some of you shared that with me or with each other. And in our small groups, we're sharing that. We're praying for each other. There's people you're trying to reach for Jesus. They're uncertain about things. What is really our only certainty in this life? If it's not Jesus, he is our certainty. So as we go, use your uncertainty to proclaim the power of God in your life. If God hasn't answered your prayer to provide, let's say it's a job, applying for a job. God hasn't provided that yet. Could you use your job search as an opportunity to show people my God is faithful and look how he's provided. Even though I haven't had a job yet, look at how he's provided. Or, you know, I was looking for friendship and I couldn't find any. And, but Jesus provided this. It was a church family. Small group. A lady coming alongside you. Let people know, hey, I, I'm not even certain about the future here, but here's what I do know. Because that's a powerful testimony. And it helps us to rethink our circumstances and rethink our trials and the uncertainty of our own lives. Now, one way that we can, we can apply this as a church is when we first came down here, we were in missionary mode only. We were trying to reach as many people as we could and pray for these people and share the gospel. And we didn't have a church yet because the church is the people. We're waiting to see the people that God brings together. But as you look around... Not, not even everyone's here. God is bringing a church together. So how do we serve others in Jesus' name? So that on Sunday morning or on Wednesday morning at the Mom Connection or, or, or men's night on bowling, and maybe there won't be as much serving that night, but if there is an opportunity to serve, when we serve, people see how beautiful Jesus' name is through us. So whether it's greeting at the door, whether it's helping with set up and tear down or, or children, we are growing. And I've come to realize, Josh, you can't have your hand in everything. <laughs> Lacey can't have her hand in everything. Dennis and Chris can't have their hand in everything. We feel that pull, we kind of want to, but this is Jesus's church. And we want to see him work through every single one of you. So when someone comes to this church and they stick around, they'll see Jesus in you. Because you took the time to use your gift or your time to serve others. It's all about the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When we worship, it's Jesus. When we serve, it's Jesus. When we reach out to neighbors, it's not to tell them how great we are, but that the name of Jesus would make every knee bow. And that's also why we have hope for this community. Because our gospel is a powerful gospel. When you go out this week, please don't be afraid of what people think of you when you share Jesus. He's already on the throne of heaven. 
He already conquered the grave. He's already declared this is what will be. All you're doing is going out under his authority and declaring it to be. This is how it's going to be. Well, I reject that. I don't believe that. Okay. You're blind. <laughs> you definitely might not tell them that directly <laughs> to their face, but you know that's spiritual blindness. Jesus wins. Jesus is Savior. Let's pray.